Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to a mini episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that's all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our Kingsman The Secret Service and Thor episodes. On today's show, I'll give you my reactions to the comics that Seb and our guest Andrew Ellard recommended on last week's podcast. Those were Casanova Volume 1 and James Bond 007 Volume 1. But before any of that, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past week. Okay, and we'll kick things off by saying right off the bat that this has been a very quiet week for the news. Now, that could be because we're only a few weeks away from San Diego Comic-Con, where a lot of the news might be being saved for. So, brace yourself for a busy couple of weeks when that does arrive. But for now, there's not much. So... I won't be deep diving here into the 37th and 38th people respectively to be cast in Spider-Man Homecoming. I won't be speculating on who Vinnie Jones might be playing in Kingsman the Golden Circle or which role a random Welsh actor from the sitcom Stella will be playing in Justice League. And I definitely won't be dissecting Frank Grillo's frankly absurd claims that Crossbones may still be alive in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because we didn't see a body. Now, some of you might be saying, wait a minute, Joe's just talked about all of those things. And you might also be saying, is Joe just padding out the news section because there is so little news? And to that I say, you've got me. So let's talk about a few pieces of actual news and then hurry into some comics talk. So we'll begin and end on the small screen because it's all quiet on the movie front. And the big news is that Preacher will be returning for a second season on AMC, which will see it bumped up to 13 episodes. The show is currently drawing pretty solid ratings and is actually the cable network's second biggest hit this year behind a certain other comic book adaptation. So if you were wondering whether or not to give Preacher a go for fear of cancellation, it looks like it's safe now to invest some serious time on the show. And now over to The CW and The Flash, which has cast Tom Felton, or as you may know him, Harry Potter's Draco Malfoy, as a series regular for the show's third season. That season will kick off with an episode called, you guessed it, Flashpoint, and will introduce Tom Felton's character Julian Dawn, who is a CSI colleague of Barry's at the CCPD, who will suspect that there's more to Barry Allen than he's letting on. So basically, he's going to wise up to the fact that Barry is not just your ordinary forensic scientist, and I'm delighted about that. Whether that will send him down the path of hero or villain, 
remains to be seen, but I'm going to predict a spot on Team Flash for Tom Felton by the end of the season. Meanwhile, over on Arrow, that show will be introducing two new vigilante characters known as Wild Dog and, um, yep, Vigilante. And The Walking Dead's Chad Coleman is joining the cast of the show as a villain original to the show, Tobias Church. Okay, that's it. I told you it would be a short section, so let's move on now to discussing this week's comic book recommendations. Okay, and we'll start off with Andrew's recommendation, which was James Bond 007, um, the first six issues, which are an arc called Varga, um, and these are from Warren Ellis and Jason Masters. Um, And this is something that I didn't mention on last week's show, um, because while we were recording that part of the podcast, we were solidly two and three quarter hours into recording, maybe three and a half hours actually being on our Skype conversation because we just talked for ages about Kingsman. And I think it ended up being a fantastic discussion, but I can tell you it was one of the most epic edit jobs I've ever had to do on this podcast. And um, Patreon subscribers got an extra section of us discussing some Spider-Man Homecoming stuff. So um, hopefully they were pleased with that. Um, but yeah, we just, we just ranted for so long about Kingsman. But the thing that I didn't mention when Andrew recommended, uh, Varga was that I had been reading this already. I'd been, um, in fact, uh, keeping up with James Bond in the singles because, um, like Andrew and, um, in fact, it seems like all of our guests that we're getting on the podcast at the moment are big James Bond fans. Um, (laughs) after Neil on our X-Men uh, Apocalypse episode, episode as well. But I am a big James Bond fan. Um, I'm probably not the expert that either of those two are, but I, you know, I've watched every Bond film multiple, multiple times, owned the box set on Blu-ray, and um, I'm kind of fascinated by the series and the way that it can all kind of exist on a very similar formula, but have real ebbs and flows as it, as it goes through, you know, a 50-year history of 24 films, I think it is now. Um, and, you know, even within the most recent James Bond, I love Casino Royale, uh, don't really have much time for Quantum of Solace, quite like Skyfall, really don't like Spectre. So, um, you know, I, I am really super invested in James Bond as a concept. I, you've probably noticed on the podcast in the past that I'm constantly comparing stuff to James Bond and it seemed to me the further that I have got into following comics through this podcast that a lot of comics creators um, bring up Bond as a reference point and it is a big influence on a lot of people working in the medium and on a lot of... And I guess because he is kind of... He's a super spy. You see a lot of that in comics. He is effectively a superhero in the stuff that he's able to do even though he doesn't have superpowers. Um you can see why that would be an influence on a superhero dominated medium. Um, and in fact, I was just reading actually, um, I, I don't know whether this came up as part of my, uh, reading around Casanova Seb's recommendation, but Matt Fraction, I saw, um, referencing the, uh, or talking about how, when he originally had the idea for his Hawkeye series, that he was going down more of a, uh, Clint Barton as a James Bond figure kind of route, but couldn't really figure it out and then eventually kind of settled on a Rockford Files influence instead of Bond. Um, 
but yes, yeah, so the, the Bond influence is clearly there all the time. And so when I heard there was going to be a James Bond comic, I thought, huh, I'm just kind of getting into starting reading comics weekly. Um, this seems like a comic that I will want to pick up, you know, once a month when it comes out. Um, and did. Um, and I'm so glad that Andrew recommended this because it gave me a chance to revisit something that I had... I would say vaguely enjoyed, but hadn't fallen in love with. And there were, I think, two moments in the series, once in the first issue and one in the fifth issue, that kind of turned me off it um, and had made me forget about some of the things that I had really enjoyed about the series and the things that it had really got right about James Bond. Um, And so I went back and reread this and... Um, kind of speed read it because I, I knew I knew the plot. I knew where things were going. Um, there is a, there's a lot of action in this. Um, a lot of like proper action sequences that should feel like um, should feel like movie action sequences. And um, it's very fast to read. And sometimes when I'm reading comics, I, I because I'm more of it, it, this happens in films as well. Because I'm more of a story and a plot guy than a visuals guy, which is probably why I'm drawn to more genre stuff like superhero movies. Um, then uh, that kind of translates to comics as well, and so I become more interested in the story than the art. And sometimes the art really does grab me. And sometimes I feel guilty for kind of skipping through pages a little bit faster and think, should I be focusing on the art here? Um, and kind of make a point of, you know, certainly in pages that look like they're, you know, rich with detail going back and thinking, oh yeah, I mean, um, there's so many, there's so much stuff in the back of this panel. In fact, uh, another Matt Fat Fraction reference, um, I read the first volume of Sex Criminals and that is something that Chip Zdarsky's art is packing little fun little details into the back of a page or, you know, there are, there are other comics that are just so beautiful that you want to spend a lot longer looking at the art. But in this, in this comic, the, the action scenes for me, I feel like are supposed to be playing out with the pace that they would be in a movie. And you kind of want to move from one panel to the next, like bang, 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 just feeling the impact of bullets flying past or Bond, um, shooting someone in the knee before that and then shooting them up through the chin as they drop to the ground it feels like something that should be read at a certain pace and in fact i had such a more enjoyable reading experience blasting through these six issues of the comic in something like 45 minutes and just going wow okay that felt like a albeit truncated but it felt more like a bond movie and I wasn't sure whether I was going to get the... uh, I was going to continue reading Bond. I bought these first six issues and hadn't hadn't had any plans to kind of keep going after this. Um, And I think I will now, although I think I'll probably do what I do with a similar comic, Velvet, which is wait for the um, second trade paperback rather than reading it month to month because um, it was just an altogether more enjoyable reading experience. Um, the action scenes, I think, are some of the, you know, the biggest strengths of this comic. Um, Andrew mentioned last week about how some kind of pages, uh, they'll slow down and show you kind of like the bullets 
entering and exiting people's bodies. Um, the one kind of big gadget that Bond gets given by Q in this uh, in this arc is a bullet that creates one single entry wound, but five separate exit wounds as it breaks up in the body. And you see on a number of occasions that happening in this. Um, and there is one fantastic sequence in the final issue where Bond is going down a corridor and kind of takes out five guys in succession and then you see the corresponding like close-up of the bullet entering their body and how it like is going through their brain or through their uh chest and and it each corresponds perfectly to to how you've just seen those characters be shot um and that's one of those occasions where it almost feels like if you're watching a film it would be going into slow motion at that moment to kind of like almost uh Reminds me of the film Wanted, but in a much better way, just kind of slow down and really watch the bullets kind of penetrating the bodies, um, for want of a better phrase. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really good. And like I said, you kind of you kind of a lot of the time feel the impact of the fights that Bond's having. You understand the choreography of them, you understand where he is in the room, where he's diving behind. Uh you see him because you can kind of go back through the panels, you can see him kind of two panels before striking the blow or grabbing the um, implement or just putting into place his his fight almost like a chess player would. Um, and, you know, you see how he takes down someone two or three panels before by something he does. It's, it's really, really strong on the whole fight choreography stuff. Um, weirdly, then, one of the moments that I was talking about before is the moments that turned me off this comic on the first read was in issue five where Bond is kind of... Um, he He's kind of in a losing position in this battle. And or in this fight with one of the main, with one of the main kind of adversaries in the comic. Um, and I won't say who that is because there is kind of two or three adversaries and I don't want to tell you who gets taken down when and how. Um, but it looks like Bond is kind of screwed. And um, although the legwork has been put in earlier to show you what he is aiming to do, um, just the kind of the transition of the two images in the panel from Bond kind of on the floor uh, looking like he's done for to uh, standing triumphantly after having uh, landed a killer blow. Um, it just really didn't work for me. It didn't, the, the transition happens over two pages as well. And um, I was, I, I remember on the first read just going, wait, how was he done that? Um, and it was really strange. It's really out of character for this comic that does it, so well so often um and so yeah especially on the reread i was kind of looking forward to getting back to that moment and going ah, this comic is it's doing all this stuff really well did i just not get it the first time and i don't think i did i think it is a clumsy depiction of how bond would uh win out in that situation um and so I didn't really love that. Um, and then the other moment, um, it actually comes coupled to one of the things that Andrew said, uh, mentioned about really liking about this comic, is that Bond can't carry his weapon on British soil anymore. Um, and it's a nice running gag that runs throughout the six issues. And um, the way that Bond um, deals with that and kind of whines, but also quips about it in a very bondy kind of way almost in in a very daniel craig bond kind of way actually um 
uh, very sardonic um, about the situation he's finding himself in. Um, but it was just something in the very first issue. Bond is talking to um, Bill Tanner, and it's in the canteen in MI6. And I just remember reading it going, do you know what? I, ne- I never wanted to see Bond sat in a canteen like I have uh, an office in Britain. It feels so, so unglamorous. And I think obviously that's what Warren Ellis was going for, but it was just like, I don't... I, I would like there to be some kind of <laughs> something separating Bond and me in this situation. I don't want to see Bond in a canteen. I want to see him in a casino. I don't want to see him sat there drinking some crappy cup of coffee and whining about how he's not got his gun. Um, but I think that was just something that bothered me in the first issue and actually on the reread. because I, I think because it was something in the first issue and it's these are quite... Um, they feel like quite condensed contained issues um because they're so fast to read it feels like you're zipping through it and just even spending two or three pages in a canteen for a dialogue scene felt to me like oh is this what this series is going to be like is this going to be like bond in the office in the workplace occasionally going out and doing um and it and it obviously doesn't turn into that so of those two things that turned me off the first time the reread was the one thing that reminded me oh her no that's not what this comic turns into and actually in isolation it just plays as a funny scene so um yeah i'm quite happy to retread on that one um as for the kind of bondy tropes there are good characters in here the villain is suitably james bond villainous in that he's kind of grounded in um, weirdly almost like Matthew Almerich's character in um, Quantum of Solace who I always think is a, a nonsense Bond villain because he, it's it's in a very boring Bond film to begin with that kind of uh, squanders a lot of the potential that Quantum of Solace sets up with the character of Vesper Lind and the impact of that character on James Bond I feel like uh, the follow up to Casino Royale could have been the best Bond film ever and it ended up being a writer's strike afflicted series of chase scenes with um yeah a villain at the middle of it who his villainous plan is to raise utility bills um and that didn't really appeal to me but there is something that can be quite nice about a bond villain who is so exaggerated and ridiculous but has a kind of uh, a, a small part of his plan is grounded in reality and that felt like something that this villain has um, it's um, about a kind of a poison in a. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, in, in a drug that he's trying to distribute out into Britain. Um, and his reasons for wanting to distribute it in Britain are uh, twisted and very uh, over the top Bond villainy and, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I really bought him as a Bond-esque villain. He has a, um, henchman who doesn't feel pain, um, or doesn't feel pleasure or pain, doesn't feel anything. And, um, that leads to a very satisfying showdown with Bond. Um, and another, uh, henchman or henchwoman, Dharma, um, and she has two bionic arms. And there is an explanation of kind of why our main villain has been drawn to those two people as well. Um, that That is really satisfying. Um, and while being a comic that is mostly action, doesn't it does a good enough job of justifying those characters and how they operate. Um, and um, as, as for Bond himself, what I really enjoyed about this Bond was, yes, he is witty, he is sardonic, he has um, nice little interplay with Money Penny and those kind of scenes, but this is a Bond who is a real bastard, and Bond can be, um, but yeah, this, this felt like a real... There, there, is a, there is a real nasty edge to this James Bond that I think... Um, it takes a little bit of adjusting to because that isn't always how James Bond is on screen. Um, he can be, um, and especially when things become personal. Um, but this is a Bond who kind of, you get the impression he delights in killing and he doesn't want to make things easy for the, for the, for the people that he's going to be taking out. Um, there is a fantastic sequence with a sniper rifle that you kind of have to, uh, you kind of just you kind of have to reread and go. Wait, did Bond actually just? Okay, okay. Um, and as I said uh, previously, one of well, in fact, both of his showdowns with the the uh, the henchmen are um, sufficiently unpleasant. I would describe them as. Um, so yeah, I'm delighted that Andrew got me to revisit Varga because I think I appreciated it infinitely more on this second reading um and i will use that as a fantastic transition to casanova volume one luxuria um which is from matt fraction and gabriel Barr. because this is a comic that i almost feel like to properly understand what was going on especially in the first two issues maybe um i would have to go back and read this again (laughs) because this is a comic that is so dense and um 
so difficult to follow at times that it really took me a few issues of just getting used to the pace of it and getting... I mean, what Seb said last week, you kind of have to read it very slowly. Um, There is no hand-holding whatsoever. There is no kind of easy transitions between one part of a story and the next part of the story. It's just one panel is telling you one thing and the next panel is telling you another. And technically, if you're paying enough attention, you don't need to be to have your hand held between those two panels you can figure it out but you can't just race through it speed reading it or even reading it at the pace you would i mean it's the polar opposite of varga in that respect you have to you have to just really um ready yourself for the facts that when you start reading this uh you're going to be reading it for um for quite a while um it took me a long time to work through um there's seven issues of this, although I saw it being described as four issues in some places online, which was very confusing. But um, in the end, I just bought it through Comixology and read the first issue, which it kind of, I think it says on there, collecting one to seven or one to four. Um, so it must have been published in different formats at different times, I guess. Um but what I did do, um, I tracked down something online, which I believe comes from the... Um, from the print versions of um, Casanova, as I say, I read them on the uh, on the iPad on Comicsology, and actually, right at the end, it says something um, about how uh, if you if you're reading it, um, if you read if you read it in print, there is little extra annotations and all kinds of stuff, which I imagine might be quite helpful. I almost wanted recap pages at the start of every issue in this just to like kind of remind me of what was what was going on or maybe if I hadn't quite understood what had happened in the last issue that the recap page could tell me. Um but yeah, so maybe so maybe I would recommend if the if the print edition has recap pages, go for that. Um, but this is something that apparently comes from the end of the first issue of um, of Matt Fraction explaining kind of some of the uh, the, the approach that he took to this comic. Um, and I found it really interesting. He talks about Phil Spector and how Phil Spector used a production technique um, on his music, uh, which was called The Wall of Sound. Um, and I'm just going to quote from him here. It meant layers, layers and layers and layers of music. A half dozen guitars playing the same riff all at once. Ten different backup singers jammed into a small room, hollering to God while Phil caught it all and mixed it down to mono. Phil hated records. He loved singles. Listen to Be My Baby or River Deep Mountain High. Two singles so dense, I bet those little 45s vibrated. Um, and he talks for a little bit longer and, uh, there's uh, some, he talks about Warren Ellis. Um, and uh, then he says, so what would a comic sound like if you're going to produce it wall of sound style? If you're going to try and translate one chess technique from a medium into another technique in another medium, I don't just mean overwriting, uh, cramming every page and panel full of words. I want to read it. I want to write it like a DJ and collage little bits of everything, repurposing to old suit Casanova. Song lyrics turned into lines of dialogue, plot points, shots from tr- films translated into whole page stanzas. Um, I mean, and what that really crystallised for me was the approach that Warren Ellis, that Warren Ellis, that uh, Matt Fraction is taking here, uh, which is, yeah, like I said, no hand-holding, just uh, stuff layered on top of each other. It, 
it feels like story beats are layered on top of each other and things are happening at the same time that you don't quite realize um and that it really is it does does have that kind of feeling of something that is stacked on top of each other that but that there is overlap and that there is there is a, just an efficiency at work that is almost too efficient and you have to really slow down and just soak everything in because if you don't soak everything in you're going to get lost um and i went read back and read a little bit more of issue one of this um or reread a little bit of issue one once i got the whole way through and um yeah, I, I think that's something that I would probably recommend anyone who reads Casanova do because you're probably going to get a lot more of it from it the second time of reading because you're going to uh, un- understand a little bit more or, or just the pace of it a little bit better once you get there um, and figure out kind of the, the style of the comic and who is talking at different times and stuff like that. Um but yeah, I should probably talk about the some of the actual content of the comic. So um, I think Seb explained some of this on the podcast last week. But Casanova Quinn is born... Well, he lives in a timeline. In So we call it timeline. I think, it, in fact, it's 909 and 919, which are the two timelines uh, in this. So he lives in timeline 909. And he is kind of uh, the black sheep of his family. His daughter uh, works for her dad at um, a spy-like organization called Empire... Um, their dad runs Empire. Uh, she is killed, and they, he and his father, have a falling out. Um, but then, um, Casanova is kidnapped by a super terrorist called Newman Zeno, um, uh, who runs an evil corporation called Waste, and he is dragged off to the other timeline, timeline nine oh nine, where the Casanova at that timeline is dead, but his sister Zephyr isn't and Zephyr in that timeline works for Waste and Casanova was more of a traditional hero in that timeline working for his father at Empire Um, and so Zeno gets Casanova to work for him um, but under a guise of working for Empire still so Casanova has to go and play the traditional hero at Empire but every mission he goes on, he will receive a counter mission from Zeno. Um, and there is the added twist that this sister, who he loved uh, deeply in the original timeline, she in this other timeline is, um, well, she's working for an evil, evil super terrorist. And so they kind of had this weird fucked up relationship that has a kind of weird sexual tinge to it. Um uh, and it's, um, I mean, for me, that was one of the, probably the most fascinating relationship running through these seven issues. And um, I think I was always most compelled when that was playing out. Um, there is a there's a great issue where both of them get sent into um, sent on this mission to infiltrate a place. Um, and uh, the that that might have been my favourite in the series. Um, but while all this stuff is going on, kind of each issue does feel like its own individual thing. And each issue seems to have, while there is this overarching thing to the series, each issue tends to have one main mission and it tends to have a hook beyond the stuff that's going on with Casanova. The stuff that Casanova is involved with or the structure of the story um, 
seems to be as interesting to Fraction as the the story itself. Um, that's a little bit less so towards the end of the series where it felt to me um, like um, late on the the volume kind of tries to tie things into a, into an overall bow that doesn't quite land um, or to me wasn't as interesting as the individual issues doing mad conceptual stuff and rushing along and cramming all this stuff in like that was that was the more interesting side of Casanova to me um, and so I didn't I wasn't too bothered about how it was all going to tie up in the end having said that I was reading the whole comic going huh, I wonder who Zeno will be because Zeno is a character who this super terrorist who's, uh, whose entire face is in bandages um, and there is one particular sequence where he's on panel and Casanova's having to bandage his face um, as well after being um, attacked by Zephyr. And um, I, I remember thinking, oh, like, oh, I wonder whether, I wonder whether he in fact is is another version of Casanova, maybe from a different timeline or the future or the past. Because there's loads of crazy stuff going on in here. I want, like, oh, could he be Casanova all along, who's hired himself or? Um, and so I was kind of getting dragged into that and doing speculative stuff in my head as well. So it was definitely, it was obviously working on me. Um, I have to say like an issue or two into this, like I said, it, it took a while to kind of adjust to the pace and I wasn't sure whether or not I liked it. Um, I feel like I've had a, a strange history with re- reading Matt Fraction because I remember the the Iron Man that I was recommended that he wrote on the podcast. I was kind of a little bit lukewarm on. I didn't really understand why it was such a great Iron Man story back when that was recommended. Um, obviously, I loved Hawkeye, um, but I also went off and, like I mentioned earlier on this podcast, I read the first volume of Sex Criminals and I wasn't hugely taken by that which I was quite surprised by given that I'd loved Hawkeye so much and I'd liked um, Chip Zdarsky's other stuff and so um, I was wondering a couple of issues into this whether I just wasn't I just wasn't going to get on with it in the way that I just didn't love sex criminals the way that I expected to based on its reputation Um, and um, that kind of that definitely mellowed as I worked my way through it and uh uh, you know, did a little bit of Googling and read some other things that Matt Fraction had said about the series and it kind of helped, it helped crystallise what the what the comic was doing in my mind and I think the further I got into it and the more I adjusted to the pace and the, and um, I think I, I think it might be partly me adjusting to that pace and partly the series becoming a little bit more accessible in some of the in some of the issues throughout the middle of the series like maybe the third to the sixth issues um yeah it felt it felt like it was a little bit more something that you could grasp onto i'm not sure whether it's the second or the third issue it might be the third that is um an issue that kind of has three different timelines running at the same time um and you're kind of hopping between the three and it's not telling you when it's hopping between the three um but that it, it for me it was uh, it was almost the first time that I felt like I could cling onto something in the comic because as soon as I'd worked out which timeline I was in on a page or in a panel, um, it almost felt like it was three smaller things to uh, to to get my head around and the, and that because they were all smaller and not sprawling 
that yes, they interweave together, but if I can understand them all separately, I could understand the comic as a larger whole and appreciate it. And in fact, that that was another one of my favourites from the series. But there was, uh, looking back, um, I enjoyed the vast majority of this. And like I said, going back to issue one, um, that first issue might be a crazy masterpiece because once you can get your head around what's going on uh, and figure, and you know, you see how much is being crammed into this story and how much is being done with the different characters and how much stuff that the comic is doing that you don't even realize it's done until later down the line um, is really fantastic. And yeah, um, the, the efficiency, which I think might be over efficiency. I think it might be a massive barrier to a reader on a first read. Um, but yeah, it, it really becomes something special once you adjust to that pace and once you, uh, go back and, and look over it. So yeah, I, um, I ended up really enjoying this and, uh, kind of want to continue, even though, uh, <laughs> Seb's warnings and, uh, and some other stuff I've read about it says it kind of goes off the deep end a little bit um in later volumes but i definitely really really appreciated this first volume and um i I might venture further in the future as well um it was uh yeah it was definitely an experience and uh one that i'm glad that i had so yeah that was this week's recommendations james bond 007 varga and casanova volume one luxuria which um yeah, I would recommend checking out both and maybe reading them both twice if you have the time. Uh, but that is it for this week. Don't forget that the next episode of Cinematic Universe will be focused on Thor. If you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating or review or support us over at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can find more episodes of the show on cinematicmultiverse.com and you can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at CU underscore podcast or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough, Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.